Well, for Palm Sunday and Easter, we're going to be stepping back from the book of Judges and turning to the Passion Week. Uh, The Passion Week is from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. And they call it that, that word passion comes from a Latin word that means to suffer. And so it is a week of suffering. And they call it this uh, as a way to express the incredible way that God demonstrated how much he loves us during this week. And so it's a time of reflection. Now, what did this, uh, what did this week actually look like? Um, just a, a wealth of information in the New Testament about this week. But just the big pieces would be that on Sunday, on Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem. And when he entered Jerusalem, he was celebrated as the Messiah. Um, that evening, uh, when he, he came in Sunday, when he, he entered Jerusalem, and Gina described this for us earlier, like I said, he was celebrated as the Messiah. He went to the temple, he was just there briefly, and then he left the city and he returned to Bethany. And we'll remember that um, Jerusalem sits up on a hill, the temple sits up on a hill, Mount Moriah, and then there is a, a valley called the Kidron Valley, and then there's another hill called the Mount of Olives. And so you climb that Mount of Olives. Now this valley is not as pronounced today, it's kind of been filled in a lot, but at the time it was a pretty good valley and it would climb and ascend up the Mount of Olives and then once you crested the hill, you got to a little town called Bethany. And so Jesus would return to Bethany every day until he was finally arrested. And so on Monday, he returned to Jerusalem from Bethany and he cleansed the temple. And uh, then Tuesday and Wednesday, he returned to Jerusalem and he did a lot of teaching, a great deal of teaching. He would go to the temple to do this. And then by Thursday, the whole uh, nation was preparing for the Passover. And so uh, Thursday evening culminated with that Lord's Supper that Jesus had with the disciples. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he was arrested. And then early Friday morning, Jesus went through a series of trials where he was convicted and crucified. So by noon to six, he hung on that cross. And by around six in the evening, they took him down before the Sabbath and he was laid in a tomb and then rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. That's the Passion Week. And so our passage today is in John chapter 12 and it falls uh, within the teaching portion of the week, Monday to Wednesday. From the Gospels, it looks like Monday didn't have a lot of teaching. It looks like he, he entered the city, went to the temple, looked around and left. So the majority of the things that we read in the Gospels about the things that he said, the interactions that he had with people, the discourses, seem to have occurred the majority on Tuesday, Wednesday. And so what we're reading today fell within the Tuesday, Wednesday portion more than likely, although we don't know that for sure. Um, This passage is only found in John. In this passage, Gentiles are going to ask to see Jesus. And to Jesus, that was a sign. To Jesus, uh, that marked a transition from going only to the house of Israel 
to also going to all nations. And so we want to recognize that there's a real turning point from phase one to phase two, a real transition that's occurring here in John chapter 12. And the, the transition is identified by Jesus himself. Because when he hears that, the, this, that there are Gentiles outside asking permission to see him, he recognizes that the time has come. And so we'll read the passage together. It begins, uh, it begins in verse 20. It's just six verses. It says, Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, up to this point, uh, the hour that Jesus is talking about, the hour has come. Up to this point, the hour was always in the future. What is he talking about? What is the hour? Well, if we look on down uh, in the same chapter, look on down to verse 32, we can see that he's talking about the cross. If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He's talking about when he's going to be raised upon that cross. If you keep going through it, you get to verse 1 of chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so this is talking about the cross and the resurrection. The time of Jesus departing. The Bible will talk about this time that Jesus is on earth as his visitation. And for Israel not to miss their visitation. And so this is coming to a close. So this is what he's talking about. Um, in the Gospels, as we go back and we reflect, we remember just in, in the book of John, uh, early in chapter 2, at that, that wedding in Cana, when uh, they ran out of wine. And uh, Mary brought the problem to Jesus. Why would she do that? Why did she think that Jesus could fix this problem? Well, remember that Jesus said, why are you bringing this problem to me? My hour has not yet come. Chapter 2, verse 4. My hour has not yet come. It's because Mary knew that Jesus could turn water into wine. He'd probably done all kinds of things for them. At home, in the privacy of their home, we don't know that. But what Mary was asking him to do was something that was public. Everybody was going to see it. And he said, Mother, my hour has not yet come. We fast forward into chapter 4 and Jesus is at the well 
and there's a Samaritan woman that comes up and talks to him, and there's that long conversation that he has with her. And within that conversation, he'll tell her that my hour has not yet come. As we move forward into chapter 7 and into chapter 8, two different times people tried to seize Jesus, but they were unsuccessful because his hour had not yet come. And so John chapter 12 marks a turning point. Now we're talking about something that is actually here and not something that has been in the future. Now, uh, it begins here by telling us that some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. Some Greeks, more than one. And they had came to worship at the festival. What's the festival? It's the Passover. And everybody in the nation was coming to Israel. People from other nations were coming to Israel that were God-fearing people for the Passover. Now, they were clearly Gentiles, but they were not necessarily from Greece. It just means that they were from the Greek-speaking world. And they clearly feared God because they had came there to worship. So they approached Philip. Philip approached Andrew. And then Philip and Andrew brought the request to Jesus. Now, there's a lot of things we don't know here. We don't know uh, where this conversation actually occurred. We don't know why they approached Philip. We don't know why they had to ask permission to see Jesus. And we don't even know if they got to see Jesus. Because what Jesus does is he responds to the situation that their request creates. But there are some things that we do know. We do know that Jesus every day was teaching in the temple. That's where he was at. So there's no reason to think that he wasn't in the temple in this incident. And we also know that the temple has layers of access. There's the, there's the outer court, the court of Gentiles. Everyone can come there. But then there's the court of women. We can think about as we study the Gospel of Mark the different things that we saw occur in these courts as we went through the, the book of Mark. But, so there's a court of the, of the women. There's a place where just the men. And then there's a, a place where only priests can go. And then ultimately the, the Holy of Holies. So restrictions as you move closer and closer to God. So these folks are Gentiles. Jesus is in the temple. That means that they could only go to the court of Gentiles. And it only makes sense that Jesus would be beyond that. He doesn't have to have been. He could have been in the court of Gentiles. But Jesus was there to present himself to the nation of Israel. He was there presenting himself to the house of Israel as the Messiah. And so he probably was in the court of women. He probably was in an area that they couldn't have access to. And then for some reason, they run into Philip. Maybe they sent Philip to Chick-fil-A for some lunch. We don't know. Maybe Philip came out of the court of the women and he was walking out. He goes into the court of Gentiles and he's confronted by this group of Gentiles. A whole bunch of people was there that had came to see Jesus. 
And they grabbed Philip. You're one of the disciples. Philip, because he was from Bethsaida. Maybe they knew him. Maybe they were from the Decapolis. Maybe they were from up that area in Galilee. We don't really know, but they grabbed Philip. They knew him. They knew Philip was with Jesus. And you can just imagine the conversation. It was like, we would like to see Jesus. There's, there's no way we can go in there and see him. Is there? that's, that's, there's just no way, right? Philip's like, no you, no, you can't go in there. Well, when is he going to leave? Do you have any idea? No, I don't know when he's going to leave. Well, is there any chance that he would come out here and talk to us? So Philip thought about it and he went to Andrew. And then they brought the matter to Jesus. But when Jesus heard that there were Gentiles outside asking permission to see him, what Jesus heard was that the hour had come. What Jesus heard was that there were Gentiles asking for permission to see him. Now, we're Christians, and so it's very difficult for us to understand why the nation of Israel as a whole, there were a lot of Jewish people who believed in Jesus, but as a whole, the nation, it's, it's difficult for us as Christians to understand why the, the nation didn't believe in Jesus. It's hard to understand, isn't it? But um, when we look backwards from what we do know, if we, if we begin just in the first century here, right here where we're at, in the first century and you just begin to go backwards and you begin to look back over Israel's rocky history, especially what we've been studying in the book of Judges, for example. We, when you go backwards, you look over this long history, you recognize that Israel had been surrounded by uh, the corrupting influences of their neighbors. And that God had set them apart from the other nations. So what does that mean, that God would set them apart? Does it mean that God did not want Israel to have anything to do with the other nations? Is that what it meant? Well, no, not at all. In Leviticus chapter 18, it tells us that what God wanted and when he set Israel apart was for them to walk according to his ways instead of walking according to their ways. That's what it means to be set apart. Uh, a Jewish, per, a, a Gentile could convert to Judaism, but it should never be the other way around. That's what it means to be set apart. But, like I said, because Israel was surrounded by the corrupting influences of their neighbors, Israel was constantly finding themselves corrupted. And so it's easy to see that over a period of time, they would isolate themselves from their neighbors. They began to see their neighbors the Canaanites, the, the paganist, godless nations around them, you know, whether it was Egypt or, uh, you know, the Syrians or Hittites, whoever, neighbors. When he would look at them, they would see them as, as a temptation, as a, as a stumbling block. And they would begin to blame them more than they were actually blaming themselves. So much so that 
uh, animosity began to develop towards the other nations, even hatred. Just think of the way Jonah responded when the Assyrians repented at Nineveh. You know, to an Israelite, the Gentiles were the enemy. And because these nations were godless and pagan, Israel saw themselves, just Israel, the Jewish people, they saw themselves as the, the object of God's redemptive plan. That he was the, they were the ones he was trying to save. It was, they were the sole purpose and objective of God's redemptive plan of salvation. They saw themselves that way instead of realizing that they were to be the means of fulfilling God's redemptive plan. You see, we studied Ezekiel chapter. We studied Ezekiel earlier uh, a few years ago when we were looking at chapter five and Ezekiel chapter five, verse five. Just remember this verse; it's so important. Ezekiel five five. It tells us that God, He says, "I have placed Jerusalem in the center of the nations. I put you right in the middle of all of them." And then Isaiah forty nine six tells us that Israel was to be a light. To the nations. The means of God's redemptive plan. And we know God told Abraham this from the very beginning. If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 verse 3. It says that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Do you see this? It was God did not want Israel to be corrupted by the bad influences of their neighbors. Instead, they were to be a positive influence on their neighbors. They were to shine God's light to the Gentile nations. They had it all backwards. They just they withdrew, they isolated, and they thought God's just here for us. He hates all of them. They're all going to perish. They're all wicked. They're going to face judgment. It's just us. And this affected how they understood the king riding into the city on Palm Sunday. God told Abraham, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Then he says it again in Genesis chapter 22. Then in chapter 26, he says it in chapter 28. And then he says it again throughout the rest of the Old Testament. It's hard to miss. So when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he was going to be their king. The king who was going to reign over the all of the earth. And Israel was going to enjoy the blessings of God's favor. While everyone else didn't. And so it was a distorted, polluted theology. It was wrong. It wasn't God's intention at all. It wasn't what God had told them. But remember, in Romans chapter 11 it says... Gentiles, don't be arrogant about this and the way you look at them. Remember Jesus talks about taking the wood out of your own eye before you look at the wood in someone else's, right? Yeah. The idea is that we're not to become arrogant. And the good news about Israel is that this is a temporary problem. Uh, chapter 11, verse 25 tells us that there's a partial hardening that has occurred to the Gentiles until the fullness to the Jewish nation until all the fullness of Gentiles have come in. 
And then Israel as a nation will repent. But that's in the future. So the, the mere fact that the mere fact that Andrew and Philip uh, went to each other uh, shows that there was considerable deliberation about this. Philip had been asked something. He was like, I don't know about this one. So he went to Andrew. And finally, they didn't go back out there and say, yeah, it's okay or anything. They went and talked to Jesus. They brought it to him. Why was there so much deliberation about that? For one, it had to do with their upbringing. All of us have been raised a certain way. We've been taught certain values by our parents and our friends. We've been taught values by our nation. And we look at how our nation changes. And so each generation has a different value system. We're always talking about the way it used to be is the way it should be. And the, the people that are living now are like, we don't want to go back to that. And so there's this spectrum of values. Things change and evolve. And so these guys have been raised a certain way. They've been taught that the Gentiles were unclean and that they were to be avoided at all cost. The Gentiles. So the Gentiles are in the court of Gentiles or want to see Jesus and they're like, I don't know about that one. We're having a pretty good day right now. Jesus is whooping up on the Pharisees. They keep trying to trap him and he keeps outsmarting them. To see how ingrained this was into the Jewish mind, just consider the, uh, the incident with Peter. Uh, Peter was in, in Acts chapter 10, he was in Joppa. It's a little fishing village on the Mediterranean coast. And he was asleep on a roof and there was this vision. And all these animals came down to the sheep and God commanded him to kill and eat. But many of the animals were unclean to the Jewish person. And Peter would say, no, Lord, I, I don't eat that stuff. God kept telling him. God told him that there was a man there to see him and he was to go with him. And so Peter ends up in Caesarea, this man's house, Cornelius, in Acts chapter 10. And he's explaining to Cornelius what has happened to him. What he has went through as a Jewish man to get to the place where he's at, standing in this Gentile's home, realizing that he's been all wrong. He's been all wrong the whole time. And God has taken Peter from the fisherman he was, the tough fisherman, and all of the things that went through his life. It's a long process. And it's not over. As we study the book of Acts, there's more growing for Peter. But, and then we studied First Peter as an old man, remember? So a beautiful picture of how God doesn't give up on us and just continues to work on us through our whole life till our last breath. And so Peter's standing in this man's house and he's explaining to him the vision. And then look what he says. This is in verse 28 of Acts chapter 10. He says, look, you guys, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. Well, that's not the Bible. That was rabbinic law, not the Bible. But to him it was the same because it was the way he'd been taught. But it wasn't the Bible. And then some beautiful words follow this. He says, But God has shown me that I must not call any person 
says, but God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. So it was going to take some time. You know, as the, as the Gentiles received Jesus on this, on this day, in the, after the, you know, maybe confusing things, but this is after Pentecost, it's after Jesus has died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, it's after the day of Pentecost, some time has passed, and the gospel spread from Judea to Samaria and now to the Gentiles. And here these Gentiles received Jesus. And this caused such a stir. It ended up in a, a they ended up having a church council. What are, what are we to make of this? Gentiles. So it took some time. And so this is part of the consternation that Philip and Andrew had with this request. And there was also some mixed signals. And I'm not going to uh, bore us to tears with all of the details, but there's a lot. If we look out over the three and a half, three years or so that Jesus was with these disciples, and the mixed signals that they were getting about how God felt about the Gentiles. In Matthew chapter 10, he sent the disciples out. He said, he said I want you to go only to the house of Israel, not to the Gentiles, not to the Samaritans, just to the lost sheep of Israel. But here in gospel, in the Gospel of John, in chapter, in chapter 10, Jesus will say that there are other sheep that are not of this fold. But what? What's he talking about? Jesus is talking about John chapter 12. He's talking about Acts chapter 10. He's talking about being on the other side of this hour. And so wisely, these two disciples decided to take the matter to Jesus. And I don't know what they expected to hear from Jesus. You know, I don't know if they thought Jesus would say, sorry guys, I'm not seeing Greeks right now. You know, I don't know what they thought Jesus would say. But they could not have expected Him to say, the hour of the Son of Man has come to be glorified. They weren't expecting that. Especially since it had always been in the future. This is James Montgomery Boyce, the late James Montgomery Boyce. He's a well-known author and theologian. He was the, the pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia from 1968 until his death. And I've talked about him before. But uh, one time he was talking about pulpits. And he's one of those guys who was famous. And everybody was probably, you know, he probably got phone calls and letters every day of different people all over the world asking him to come and speak. He was that kind of a fellow. And so he talked about pulpits, the different pulpits he's been in. And he talked about how the outside of a pulpit is beautiful and pretty. It's ornate sometimes. But when you get behind him, it's a lot different. There's wires and buttons. There's scratches and dents, stains. He said some of the places he, he's went to speak at, uh, there would be a note that would say, that just means they're having fun. So uh, sometimes there would be a note that would say, the service ends at noon. <laughs> Gene Rups. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, when I first came to this church, I was talking for an hour, and you guys put up with me, so I'm, I'm better, I'm better. But uh, I've got a lot better. <laughs> but uh, he said some, some of the pulpits would have a clock. 
just to make sure you knew what time it was. Um, uh, some of them would have a red light. And when that light went on, it meant you had two minutes. Two minutes. He said, but his, his favorite pulpit of them all was a, in, a, in a little chapel in the Stony Brook School in Long Island. And uh, I didn't know what that was, so I looked it up. But it's a, it's a boarding school. It was extremely expensive. <laughs> I looked at the admission. Uh, but it's a non-denominational uh, Christian school for 7th through 12th grade. And he was speaking at this chapel. And he liked this pulpit so much because it had the words from John chapter 12 on the pulpit that you would read as you stood behind it. It was those words were facing you. <clears throat> Sir, we would see Jesus. Well, it's hard to imagine that Jesus would turn these fellows away. You know, more likely he went out and he said, well, what, what do you guys want? Why, why do you want to see me? And if Jesus went from A to B or anywhere, a crowd followed him. And so you can just imagine that this conversation was occurring in front of a large crowd. It says there's a crowd, but we don't know if it's the same. But in this crowd, there would be believers. They would be in the minority, just like we are in the minority here in Cincinnati. But there are believers. But there are other people there who were actually plotting his death. There were people who were skeptical, people who were there just because they wanted to be entertained. They were thrill seekers. They wanted to see the spectacle. They were interested. Something was, the latest thing was happening. They had to be there. But most of them were hoping that he was there to really be the Messiah, the king, and to liberate the nation. And so when he said the hour has come, that was music to their ears. But then Jesus continued, and he said this to him. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. Of course, Jesus is talking about the cross and the resurrection. If he didn't go to the cross and he didn't rise, there would be no crop. There would be nothing to harvest. The concept here is that if Jesus didn't do his Father's will, he would remain by himself. Can a Christian be a grain of wheat that decides to remain by itself? It's a good question, isn't it? There's a lot of warnings and commands telling us how to live and what not to do that would indicate that maybe we can, or at least we can impede the process. If a grain, if a piece of grain remains in the granary, there's a protective shell around it. It remains by itself. But you have to put that grain in the ground. And then it, that shell begins to decompose. 
and that life that's inside begins to grow. This is the picture. It grows into a blade and then an ear and then into many seeds. Everybody who's ever become a Christian since Jesus died on the cross has came from that one grain. In the same way, Jesus asks us to die. He asks us to to turn our backs on this fleeting life. And then He will give us life and that our life can produce more life. It's a vision for your life and mine. It gives us purpose. People always say, well, God, I know I'm here on the earth for a purpose. Well, that's it. To produce life in you and more life. Life. People. Souls. Fishers of men. In closing, I just want want us to notice the three wonderful things that we get if we will do this. They're in verses 25 and 26. Three promises. The one who loves his life will lose it. So we don't want to do that. But the one who hates his life, and by the way, hating your life doesn't mean that you're some kind of crazy idiot that you know, goes around hating your life. It just means that you have surrendered your life to God instead of holding it all on yourself. Remember what it means to be worldly. To be worldly means to seek satisfaction and happiness and fulfillment in life without God. This is what it's talking about. Hating life. Hating that life. Hating a life that is devoted to to finding pleasure and happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment without God. That's what it's talking about. So here's these three wonderful promises. The one who loves his life will lose it. But the one who hates his life in this world will keep it. Here's the promise for eternal life. That's one. We get eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. Jesus will always be with us. And lo, I am with you until the ends of the age. Jesus will always be with us. And finally, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Next Sunday, we're going to be on the other side of this grain of wheat. 